Hello there, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast, episode 142c, Amorites, the Betrayal. Today, we explore the third and final chapter in the tale of Amaru, an Egyptian vassal, a state that went rogue, and what happened when the pharaoh finally dealt with it. This episode comes to you as a tribute from William, Torben, and Rebecca, who generously support the show as annual members on Patreon. Folks, your gifts are too kind. In return, I will make offerings to the great gods of Egypt, of Amaru, and of Hatti. May your enemies tremble before you. May our treaty endure for many years. To everyone listening, thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoy this tale. In the last years of Akhenaten, a small kingdom in Lebanon was causing trouble. Amaru, near the Mediterranean coast, had caused many headaches for their neighbours. The rulers of this territory had raided towns, captured booty, and even murdered an Egyptian official. Basically, this kingdom went rogue, raising chaos and challenging the status quo. We have visited Amaru before. Previously, we saw how the rulers of Amaru tried to expand their power at the expense of others in this region. The lords of Amaru took advantage of a kind of light hand in Egyptian diplomacy. The pharaoh of Egypt was staying back from the internal politics of the region, and lords like Abdi Ashirta and his son Aziru used that opportunity to increase their power. By now, Abdi Ashirta was long dead. Aziru was in charge of the kingdom. And as the last years of Akhenaten began, Aziru entered the final chapter of his story. Up until now, it seems like the Egyptians were not getting that involved. But just before his death, Akhenaten did start to deal with this problem. The king of Egypt had been quiet for some time, but now he took action. In the later years of his reign, Akhenaten summoned Aziru, lord of Amaru, to visit him in Egypt. The king wanted to see Aziru, to speak with him, and to receive his explanation. Aziru and his kingdom had been naughty. Now, the pharaoh was finally investigating. One of the Amana letters preserves a message that Akhenaten, king of Egypt, sent to his vassal. The fact that we have this letter is quite remarkable. For the most part, the Amana archive preserves messages from foreigners to the king. The replies that Akhenaten sent don't survive as often. So in this letter, we actually get to hear what Akhenaten said. The message read, quote, Speak to Aziru, the ruler of the city of Amaru. Thus says the king, your lord, as follows. The king, the pharaoh, has heard reports saying that, quote, Aziru is on good terms with the ruler of Kadesh. You have been taking food and strong drink in friendship with Kadesh. Is this true? Why are you doing this? Why are you on good terms with a ruler at whom the king is angry? If you have behaved honestly, 
then you will see that your relationship with me and Kadesh's relationship with me are incompatible. You are not trusting in the things that you used to trust before. What happened to you that you are not on the side of the king? End quote. Akhenaten had a problem. It seemed that Aziru was being friendly with the lord of Kadesh. Kadesh was a fortress city to the east of Canaan, and currently the ruler of Kadesh seemed to be allying with foreign powers. Kadesh had become an enemy of Egypt. They were attacking the pharaoh's interests. So Akhenaten was in conflict with Kadesh. Yet, despite this obvious problem, Aziru was treating Kadesh as a friend. Frustrated, Akhenaten demanded answers. If Aziru was truly loyal to Egypt, he could not be friends with Kadesh as well. Akhenaten continued, quote, Look at these enemies about whom I must inform you. They are seeking to cast you into the flames, but you love property, wealth, too much. If you accept servitude to the king, your lord, what would the king not do for you? Render service to the king, and you will live. But if you prefer treachery, because you desire wealth, and if you harbour disloyalty in your heart, then by the king's axe you will die, with all of your family. And you know that the king does not desire to come to the land of Canaan when he is angry. End quote. Aziru should not make Akhenaten angry. He would not like him when he is angry. And Pharaoh tried to communicate this. He promised friendship if Aziru was loyal, and vengeance if he was not. Akhenaten could see that Aziru was tempted by opportunities. The ruler of Amaru could possibly gain a lot of wealth if he broke away and joined rebellious forces. Treasure, plunder, territory... These were surely tempting, but if Aziru should betray, then Akhenaten promised fire and fury. To round out his letter, Akhenaten presented a set of demands. Quote, now the king, your lord, has sent to you the names of his enemies. So send these people to the king, your lord. Do not leave even one of them out. May bronze shackles be put on these enemies' feet. Behold, the men whom you must deliver are Sharu with all of his sons, Tuya, Leia with all of his sons, Pishyari with all of his sons, the son-in-law of Manya with his sons and his wives, the warrior who knows sacrilege, he who always insults the foreigner, Dasharti, Baal-Uma, Nimaxi, the robber in the land of Amaru. May you know that all is well with the king, like the sun god in heaven. His troops and chariots are numerous, from the southland to the northland. It is all very well. End quote. Akhenaten had a list, a group of people whom he considered to be enemies. Apparently the king of Egypt had a good idea of who exactly was causing trouble and he demanded that Aziru turn these men and their families over. The prisoners should come in chains, captives of the king. And just to remind Aziru, Akhenaten signed off, saying that he had many chariots 
and many soldiers. The message was clear. Submit, or I will come for you. Akhenaten's threats against Aziru are a fascinating glimpse at the pharaoh's personality. Obviously, the message has been filtered through layers of translation. First, translated from Egyptian to Akkadian, and then from Akkadian to English. So many of the nuances are probably lost. But the image of Akhenaten, stern and commanding, issuing his orders for a distant vassal? That is compelling. Whether he had the power to enforce this or not is another matter. Akhenaten, the pharaoh of Egypt, demanded that Aziru send him prisoners. Hostages, individuals and their families, who were on an enemy's list. Would Aziru comply with this demand? Well, we do not have a copy of Aziru's reply to this message, so we don't know if he did send the prisoners or if he tried to get around it. What we do know is that soon after this, Akhenaten demanded that Aziru himself should visit Egypt. It seems that Pharaoh's patience began to run out, and soon he wanted to speak to Aziru directly. The Lord of Amaru, though, was slippery. In his next few letters, he repeatedly delays his obligations to the king. Aziru promises that soon he will visit Egypt, but at the moment, circumstances prevent his obedience. According to Aziru, he would love to visit Akhenaten and give his loyalty in person. But he couldn't do that right at this moment. We hear from Aziru, quote, Message to Tutu, my lord, my father, the message of Aziru, your servant. At the feet of my lord, I have fallen. The Egyptian named Hatip has come and he has brought the lovely, sweet words of the king, my lord. I have rejoiced greatly to receive these words. The breath of the king, my lord, has come to me. Hatib is staying with me now, and he and I will come to Egypt together. But, my lord, the king of the land of Hatti has come to nearby realms, and I am unable to come just yet. Let the king of Hatti depart, and then I will come along with Hatip. End quote. Aziru sent a message to a man named Tutu. Tutu is a royal official, a high-ranking member of Akhenaten's government. He was a powerful man with influence in foreign affairs, and he had a tomb at the city of Amana. Aziru appealed directly to Tutu for a bit more time. According to Aziru, the reason he was not coming was quite simple. The king of Hatti was in the area. Apparently, Aziru was afraid of Supaluliuma, the king of the Hittites. Supaluliuma had swept through Syria and parts of Canaan in a devastating war that destroyed major kingdoms. Naturally, Aziru was afraid of Supaluliuma. He was afraid of what would happen if he left his kingdom for any length of time. Coming to Egypt would take several weeks at least. If he did that, Aziru would leave Amaru vulnerable. Hmm. Aziru's excuse might be genuine, 
the Hittites were active in this region around this time, and a trip to Egypt was a risky proposition any day of the week. So maybe his reasoning was legitimate, we can't quite be sure. What we do know is that eventually Aziru came through. He delayed for a while, and there are several messages promising to come very soon, very soon, just next week, I'm on my way, I swear. Well, eventually he did actually leave his kingdom. Aziru boarded a ship and came to Egypt. We don't know if Aziru actually met the pharaoh in person. Possibly, he got to the capital city and found himself face to face with Tutu, the royal official, master of foreign affairs. Tutu certainly would have dealt with Aziru in some capacity. Maybe he debriefed him, maybe he punished him, and maybe he gave Aziru an audience with the king. Whatever happened exactly, the result was clear. Aziru came to Egypt, and soon he was trapped. For a while, the Egyptians kept Aziru as a hostage. He was detained at a royal palace or fort, and he was not permitted to go home. For several months, Aziru was a prisoner of the pharaoh. And for the ruler, this was the worst possible outcome. Aziru had feared to leave his homeland because of the Hittite threat. The king of Hatti, Supaluliuma, was a great power in the north, and Aziru feared that the warriors of that kingdom would strike his home. Well, now he was stuck, far from that home, with no way to act. If the Hittites attacked Amiru while Aziru was trapped in Egypt, he would not know until the entire thing was over. How would he resolve this? Back in Amaru, modern-day Lebanon, Aziru's family got to work. His eldest son wrote letters to Egypt asking about his father. The prince of Amaru wrote a letter to Tutu, the high official, asking him to release Aziru. He said, quote, To the king, my lord, etc., etc. Behold, in me there is no falsehood, no lie. You may keep me alive, or you may put me to death. To you alone do I look, my king. You alone are my lord. So may my lord heed his servant. Please do not delay Aziru, your servant, any longer. Send him back to Amaru immediately, so that he may guard the countries of the king, our lord. Moreover, to Tutu, my lord, other rulers have said to me, quote, You sold your father for gold to the king of Egypt. When will the pharaoh let your father leave Egypt? Everyone around me has said to me, Aziru is not going to escape from Egypt. Now, others are deserting the country, and I am repeatedly told, Your father is staying in Egypt, so we are going to wage war against you. <laughs> Listen, my lord, Tutu, let Aziru go immediately. End quote. A son of Aziru, now anonymous, begged for his father's return. Allegations were swirling around that the prince had sold his father out for gold. And with Aziru gone, some of their allies were leaving. Presumably, Aziru had gathered his army by recruiting different groups and tribes. 
Aziru would have made promises to local leaders and kept them loyal by dishing out rewards. Now, though, the Lord of Amaru was gone, and at the moment, it seemed like he wouldn't return. With that dark cloud hanging over them, the armies of Amaru might have started to dissolve. That might sound like a good thing, and in some respects it was, but at the same time, it was a problem. Aziru and his kingdom had become powerful. They had made themselves a potent force in the region. If this coalition, this army, disintegrated, it would not just go back to the fields. Warriors, tribes, and leaders would start to raid and plunder. They would become brigands and cause further disruptions in the area. After all, when soldiers are promised payment and then let go without payment, well, they rarely go back to a life of peace. So Aziru's imprisonment was a problem. If he was kept in Egypt, the Lord of Amaru could not maintain control over his forces. If his troops disbanded, they would begin to cause further problems all around. In other words, if the pharaoh kept Aziru in Egypt, he might put out one fire, but at the same time, a hundred smaller fires could start. The Egyptians could not let Aziru go, but nor could they keep him. What would they do? In the last years of Akhenaten, Aziru came to Egypt. The lord of Amaru became a prisoner, while the Egyptians decided what to do with him. In his absence, Amaru was vulnerable. If the situation did not resolve itself soon, there might be calamity. In chapter 2, we explore the aftermath of this event. What happened to Aziru and his kingdom in the wake of his imprisonment? That is after the break. See you in a moment. Chapter 2. The year was 1350 BCE, approximately. The later years of Akhenaten, a time of disruption and difficulty for the Egyptian empire. The pharaoh was having personal and political problems. In the north, some of his vassals were causing trouble. Now, Akhenaten's government had taken custody of Aziru. The lord of Amaru, the ruler of a small vassal kingdom, Aziru was being held in Egypt. This might be an issue, because to the north, Aziru's kingdom was under threat. This is where the Hittites enter the equation. By the time Aziru came to Egypt, the king of Hatti was raising hell in Syria. Superluliuma, the great king, had destroyed several states and subjugated many more. He had encouraged small kingdoms to defect or attack their neighbours. And over time, the Hittite web had stretched far and wide. By this point, Superluliuma had become a serious threat. So what would the pharaoh do? Would he let Aziru go so that he could protect and preserve the border? Or would Akhenaten attack the Hittites directly? Well, 
Pharaoh might have done both. In the last years of Akhenaten, letters from Canaanite rulers suggest that the Egyptians were preparing to attack. Messages from regional lords report preparations for an oncoming war. The kings were gathering supplies in order to support the pharaoh and his troops. One of these letters gives us quite a bit of detail. Quote, To the king, my lord, message of Arzawuya, the ruler of the city of Rogisi. At the feet of my lord I have fallen. The king, my lord, has told me to prepare for the arrival of archers, soldiers of the king, and to prepare for the arrival of his many commissioners. Of course, I serve the king. May the soldiers of the king and his commissioners arrive. I will have prepared everything, and after they arrive, I will go wherever enemies oppose the king. We will take these enemies. We will hand the king's enemies over to him, our lord. End quote. Arza Wuya, a local ruler, had his instructions. He should prepare for the arrival of an Egyptian army. Of course, the loyal vassal fell over himself to serve the pharaoh. He would give his full support to the king's soldiers and help them wherever they went. Other letters from different towns give us the same message. The Egyptians were preparing to march, and they expected their vassals to support them. This attack never materialized, or at least we do not have any record of it occurring. So what happened? It is possible that the Egyptian campaign was in the planning stages when Akhenaten died. These events around Amaru do seem to come towards the end of Akhenaten's reign. So maybe the king wanted to launch an attack, but passed away too soon. Alternatively, perhaps the attack did go ahead, but failed to make its objective. If the king sent troops into Canaan and they were unsuccessful, that might explain why we don't hear about it anymore. The Egyptian pharaohs do not like to broadcast their failures. It is unclear what happened exactly. Either way, it seems that the pharaoh did not manage to effect major change in the region. Either Akhenaten did not send the troops, or the troops that he did send failed to achieve their goal. At the end, the land of Canaan remained in turmoil. Through all of this, Aziru was still a factor. The lord of Amru had become a prisoner in Egypt. What would the king do with him? At some point, Akhenaten freed Aziru and allowed him to return home. This could have been a practical consideration. Aziru was powerful, and he had the loyalty of many warriors. At the same time, Aziru might have been the only person who could maintain order. So maybe Aziru was too important to fail. The Egyptians released him, and he went home. Aziru hopped on a ship and sailed north. He travelled from the Egyptian delta to the coast of Lebanon. He disembarked at a harbour, possibly the town of Sumer. Then he went home to his city and began to deal with his kingdom. Aziru was back in power thanks to the pharaoh's forgiveness. Unfortunately, he was not happy about it. Having been imprisoned, Aziru was clearly holding a grudge. For not long after his return, the lord of Amaru was in contact with Egypt's enemies. He started talking to the Hittites. 
In the final years of Akhenaten, or slightly afterwards, Aziru began to write to Egypt's enemies. He got in touch with Superluliuma, the king of the land of Hati. And pretty soon, Aziru and Superluliuma made a deal. We know this because texts from the Hittite royal archives preserve a treaty between the two kingdoms. Archaeologists working in the ancient Hittite capital have recovered thousands of tablets and documents. Archives from the Hittite palace record the deeds, prayers, the memoirs, and the diplomacy of their rulers. Among the many, many texts, one in particular stands out. It contains a treaty between Superluliuma and Aziru, lord of Amaru. The agreement was simple. It connected Aziru and Superluliuma as vassal and overlord. The king of Hati would protect Aziru. He would give him shelter as a subject of his empire. Aziru would obey Superluliuma and do whatever he asked. This treaty was sealed before witnesses and gods. It said, quote, Thus speaks my majesty, Superluliuma, the great king, the king of Hati, the hero, beloved of the storm god. I, my majesty, have taken you, Aziru, as my subject, and I have placed upon you the throne of your father. If you, Aziru, do not protect the king of Hati, your lord, you will violate your oath. As your soul, your body, your wives, your sons, and your land are dear to you, so may the soul of the king, the body of the king, and the land of Hati be equally dear to you. Your tribute will be 300 shekels of gold, top quality, every year. You shall weigh this gold according to the weights used by the merchants of Hati. You, Aziru, must come to my majesty, your lord, every single year. End quote. The oath was simple, but hefty. A yearly tribute of 300 golden shekels. In the Hittite kingdom, a shekel was approximately 12 grams of metal. So 300 shekels was 3,600 grams of gold. It is exceptionally difficult to convert ancient currencies to modern. But if we take the really simple approach, at the time I'm recording this, gold is trading at approximately 60 US dollars per gram. So the annual tribute was worth about 216,000 US dollars. That might not sound like much, but it was a huge outlay. Aziru had to provide that amount every single year. Aziru was paying Superluliuma a lot for his friendship. What was he getting in return? Well, it's not exactly clear. The surviving parts of the treaty mostly tell us what the Hittite ruler demanded. The text goes on and on about what Aziru will do for Superluliuma. Aziru will send tribute. He will assist in times of war. He will return any fugitives or runaways. He will always speak in favour of Hati and never go against them. He will obey the great king. And if he breaks any of these oaths, he will suffer the curses of the gods. In return, well, there isn't much. In exchange for Aziru's gifts and his loyalty, 
Sipololiuma will graciously send warriors and noblemen to the cities of Amaru. Chariots and soldiers will come to Aziru's towns, for his protection, of course. And Aziru will treat these warriors, these nobles, like family. Frankly, it kind of sounds like a protection racket, like the deal was getting worse all the time. Hopefully, Superloliuma did not alter the treaty any further. So, the king of Hati made a treaty with Aziru, ruler of Amaru. This treaty does not sound particularly generous or even helpful for Aziru himself. So, why would he agree to it? Well, I think we can assume that Aziru accepted this treaty out of fear. Fear of the Hittites, fear of what Superloliuma could do, and perhaps fear that Egypt, the pharaoh, might attack him for his crimes. After all, Aziru and his father had spent years breaking one rule after another. At some point, there would be a reckoning. Maybe Aziru accepted this treaty because he was afraid not to accept it. The Amorite lord, Aziru, and the king of Hati, Supaluliuma, signed their treaty. To formalise the agreement, the great king summoned the gods themselves as witnesses. In the final sections of the text, we learn how Supaluliuma guaranteed these promises. The king said, quote, I, Supaluliuma, have summoned the thousand gods to assemble for this oath, and I have called them as witnesses. Great gods, including Huwasana, Tapisua, Kuni Yawani, the mountain dweller gods, the mercenary gods, Erish Kigal, all the male deities and female deities of Hati, all the male deities and female deities of Amuru, all the primeval deities like Nara, Namsara, Minki, Tuhusi, Amunki, Amizadu, Alalu, Antu, Anu, Apantu, Enlil, Ninlil, the mountains, the rivers, the springs, the sea, heaven and earth, the winds and the clouds. They all shall be witnesses to this treaty and oath. End quote. Now that is how you formalize an agreement. Sipululiuma called on the very powers of sky, water, earth and wind as his witnesses. Great gods, some of the most powerful beings in the world, would guarantee this treaty. I wonder if Aziru was a pious man, and if so, how he felt about that kind of deal. Aziru betrayed Egypt. He abandoned his oaths to the pharaoh, and he threw in with the king of Hati. Overnight, the political situation changed. Amaru was no longer a friend of Egypt. Now, it was an enemy. They had broken away from the Egyptian empire. The map in Syria and Canaan was changing. The balance of power was shifting. For the pharaoh, the political situation was deteriorating. All of this took place in the final years of Akhenaten, possibly the short reign of his successor, Nefer-Neferu-Aten. The exact chronology is unclear. But we do know that by the time King Tutankhamun came to power, the northern borders of the empire were fragmenting. A lot of that was due to Aziru. The lord of Amaru, Aziru was a ruthless politician. He inherited a kingdom in difficulty after his father was executed by the Egyptians. 
And yet, against the odds, Aziru rebuilt the power of his household and resumed their earlier plans. Over the next decade or so, Aziru managed to effect significant changes and events in his neighbourhood. To be clear, most of the information we have about Aziru is negative. Other rulers complain about him and warn the pharaoh of his machinations. They report his crimes and urge the king to destroy him. Some of these letters may be honest appraisals of Aziru. Others might exaggerate the problem. Either way, the end result is clear. Aziru was a cunning ruler who navigated a tumultuous period. He might have caused many of those upheavals himself, but he stayed in power for a long time, and eventually, he even faced the Egyptians directly. He was imprisoned for a time, and yet they set him free. And when Aziru returned to his kingdom, he made the final decision. Aziru betrayed Egypt and joined the Hittite Empire. He would remain their servant for years to come. <laughs> 